was our uh, Cactus Campus and our Mountain Valley Campus and then the venue across campus and the chapel next door uh, join us live for our time in the Word. Uh, let's all, as one congregation, bow together and go to God. Father, we do thank you, as we've just sung about, for the grace that you have shown us in Christ, for the grace that you've shown us in life, for the grace that you've shown us, as we're seeing even in this series now, in life as we continue on, called our sanctification. And God, as you know, we're taking nine fruits of the Holy Spirit that you outline in your word, things that Christians have been trying to plumb the depths of and, and, and live out in their lives for 2,000 years now. We're trying to take a fresh look at them, God, in this series and, and see what they mean for us today. So God, I, I pray that prayer that my wife Kim prayed for me in seminary, that you would give us freshness in the word here today. That Lord, some of us have been Christians for 30, 40, 50, 60, even 70 years. We've heard some of this stuff before and we're tempted to be on autopilot over the next 40 minutes. May we not do that. May we dial into your word now, your truth, and as we've just sung about your grace in a way that is fresh and in a way that we just might walk out of here, not only knowing something that we didn't know, but certainly living anew and afresh those things that you've revealed to us. Do that in our hearts and our minds, we pray, and we'll deflect all glory to you in Christ's name. And we say together, amen. So I got to tell you, this series that we're in uh, on the fruit of the Holy Spirit really has been uh, quite a journey for many of us here in our congregation. I've been getting quite a few emails from you on that. And, and it's really encouraging me that as we take a fresh look at things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, that many of you are seeing these things that you maybe even have known about for years in, in a new light, and more importantly, you're living them, maybe even for the first time in the Spirit's empowerment, because I keep telling you, this is not a to-do list for us. This is the Holy Spirit's work in us, and we're starting to see them in that light, and it's been very life-giving for some of you. In fact, just this week, I received two emails from people who, you gotta love this, gave up their first-class airline seat this week. <laughs> to somebody in coach. And, and, and they did that obviously based on my confession last week that I'm such a sinner that I didn't do that. And, 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 and they did it. In fact, one of the notes I'll, just, I'll keep forever was from a, a guy in our church here who was flying to Florida on a business trip and he had been upgraded at first and he, he was so motivated to be kind, uh, to show the love of Jesus that he was on a holy hunt as he was getting on this plane for who to give this seat to. And he couldn't find anybody, which I think was awfully convenient. He couldn't find anybody. <laughs> and at the very last moment, there was a 70-year-old woman uh, who was getting on, and he saw her boarding pass. She was way back in the back. Overhead bins were already full. And, and so he, he waited to board last. He followed her on. Listen to what he says. He says, we boarded the plane together. I got to my first-class seat, 6E. Of course, the overhead bin above my seat was empty. I knew the other overhead bins were already full. So I put her two bags in the overhead space. She looked confused. Then in another moment of weakness, I gave her my boarding pass and I took hers. He goes on to say, it was as if she was transformed into a little girl. She said, I've never sat up here before. Once airborne, the flight attendant came back to tell me there was somewhat of a celebration in the first class cabin as the other passengers were getting to know Judith taking photos of her sipping champagne and posing by her seat. Yeah, I love it. 
And then he goes on to say, he says, well, Jamie, your message ruined my flight, but it made hers. Thank you very much. <laughs> See, that, that's a little thing. It's a little thing. But, but sometimes, and we'll talk about this more as we go along today, in the hands of God, it, it can become a big thing. And you never know how he's going to use that. It's kindness. Uh, so let me do a quick review on what we talked about last week when we talked about kindness, because it's actually more confusing than some people think. We started last week by looking, saying that the fruit of the Spirit is kindness, and then we defined kindness very clearly. We said that kindness is a tangible expression of love. It's a tangible expression of love. So, so kindness is and flows from the love that we have for other people, but it's something that they can feel. It's something that they can hear. And we even said it's something they can touch at times and something that they can taste. And I, and I said last week as well that there are two distinct types of kindness when you look very closely at the scriptures. The first type of kindness is what we called physical kindness, physical kindness. And this is the kind of kindness that presents itself in acts of kindness, actually doing something good and kind to those around us, like giving up your first-class airline seat to one of the people back in coach. It's a powerful form of kindness, actually doing something good and right for those around us. And let's just be frank. It's what most people think of when they think of kindness, that it's more of an action, a behavior. I'm doing something for somebody, and we call that kind. And it is. And Christians should obviously be the ones leading the way on that type of kindness. But I also told you last week that there's another type of kindness that the Bible talks about. And this is one that many, many people miss today. Even many well-meaning Christians struggle with this kind of kindness because it can tend to be more nebulous it can tend to be more elusive. And, and, and many of you tried to guess what this type of kindness is. One guy emailed me this week and said, I know what you're going to talk about, generosity, and you're going to tell us to give more money. And I thought, well, that actually would have been a pretty good idea, but that's not what it is. No, no, what it is is what we're going to call relational kindness. Relational kindness, that's the second type of kindness that the Bible talks about. And gang, I got to tell you, this one is more difficult. This is the type of kindness that reveals itself in how we interact with those around us, how we treat them on a relational level in both verbal and even nonverbal ways. So whether we do anything or not for them, this is a form of kindness that presents itself in a relational casting. It shows itself in how we interact and, if you will, interface one relationship at a time with people every day in our spheres of influence. As my friend Larry Crabb would say, it's putting Christ on display in the way that you relate to others. And what you need to know is that this is all over the Bible. I looked up every instance of kindness in the Old Testament and the New Testament when I was doing my study here. And I'm telling you, less than half of them have to do with physical kindness. All the others, the majority of them, have to do with this relational kindness that God is so rabid about. So let me show you what I mean very quickly with a few passages. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, as God is talking about his 
uh, salvation given to us in Jesus, it says this, or do you think lightly of the riches of his, God's kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Now, you need to think very, very soberly or clearly about this passage here. Uh, tolerance and patience are relational terms. Give me a head now that y'all understand that. That's not doing something for somebody. It's not a pragmatic thing. Those are relational terms. And they're the building blocks of how we treat people in relationship. And here, they're the building blocks of how God has, has approached you even in your fallen, rebellious, sinful state. He has been tolerant and patient with you even when you weren't coming to him for salvation. Now watch this. It's linked to kindness here. See, this is why I'm gonna argue that kindness is a relational entity because here it's linked to God's tolerance and his patience and all of a sudden it says it's bundled with his kindness. And so it's the relational kindness of God that provides the impetus and the motivation for you and I to ever repent in the first place and come to Jesus. So God is kind to you on a relational level, showing tolerance and patience even when you mess up. And it's this relational kindness that is even your power to repent. And again, it's everywhere. Look at the Old Testament, Psalm 103, verses 8 through 11. Again, a, a passage many of you have read about a lot. We sing about this passage. Let's look at it new and afresh. It says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving, say it with me, kindness. kindness. He will not strive always with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. And so don't miss what's going on here, gang. In this form of kindness that's being ascribed to God here, he is not actually doing anything physical for you and me. Isn't that interesting? As I showed you last week, there's other passages that talk about the kindness of God in light of him sending the rain or providing crops or doing something like that. That's not what's going on here. Here, this is a relational kindness that God is demonstrating, the kind in which he's saying, I'm not going to lose it in my anger to you, and I'm not going to be vengeful to you as your sins might deserve. He's showing patience and forgiveness towards us here. And what I need you to see is that that's what's being labeled kind. It's a type of kindness clothed in a relational garment more than anything else. And so one more passage. This is why Ephesians 4.32, that then when it's transferred to you and I, says this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And there it is again. And this is not an act of kindness being talked about here, the physical kindness that we looked at last week. In this context, it's a kindness that presents itself in being tender-hearted toward each other, forgiving toward each other. It's a relational kindness that God is after here. Are you starting to see that there's a type of kindness that goes deeper and richer than any act of kindness ever could. 
And I love it. It's not the kind of kindness that buys flowers for your wife or holds the door open for somebody or serves in a soup kitchen or even gives up your first-class airline seat. As good and right as all of those things are to do, this is the kind of kindness that dials into another person's heart. This is the kind of kindness that shares words of affirmation and encouragement, even at times hard-hitting words of truth. This is the kind of kindness that forgives wrongdoing. And at the end of the day, and this is why so many of us, especially men, are, are terrified of this kind of kindness. This is the kind of kindness that doesn't mind entering into the tunnel of chaos of intimacy and tenderness <laughs> that's involved in it. It's a whole different kind of kindness being talked about here. And when you think about it, maybe this will help you see Jesus in a fresh way. When Titus 3 verse 4 says that the kindness of our Savior appeared, referring to Jesus, maybe now you can see why the Bible refers to all of his interactions, even as tough ones, as ones generated by a heart of kindness. I mean, when Jesus told Zacchaeus to come down from that tree... <laughs> when he called Matthew from the tax collector's booth, when he freed up that woman caught in adultery, when he talked to that Elizabeth Taylor woman who'd been married, what, five, six times, when he, when, when he was restoring Peter after he denied him. I mean, think of all the stories you know about Jesus but when he was interacting with people around him. See, when I see it this way, I go, wow, kindness, 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 kindness. But it's not always just this flowery, hey, how are you doing, smile kindness, it's a gritty, raw kindness that looks into another person's heart and discerns what is going on there in verbal and nonverbal ways and then connects with them at an incredibly deep level and loves them with the love of God. You see, that's kindness. And it goes far beyond just doing something nice for somebody around you. Now, more than anybody else, I know how difficult this kind of kindness is for some of us. <laughs> As I mentioned throughout this series, that there are many fruits of the Spirit. When you see them in the right light, you go, oh my gosh, are these things hard? And that's why I keep reminding you that these are not the fruits of Jamie. It's not the fruits of Mark. <laughs> it's not the fruits of Laura. I mean, it, 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 it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And if you see this as a to-do list and wake up every day and, and say, I think I'm going to be more loving and kind, you'll fail at that one, at least according to God's standards. You'll still probably be better for, than your neighbor, but you won't be the Christ-like follower that he wants you to be. And, and so we need God's empowering and help to do any of these things. So here's what I want to do. I want to spend the, the remainder of our time. We've got about 23, 24 minutes uh, before we go to our elder fund offering and our closing song, uh, talking to you about how this relational kindness might work itself out in some key areas of our lives by the Spirit's empowerment. And I want to talk to you about how it might look and work itself out in marriage, work, and then even here at church. And you guys are in for a really, really amazing treat. Last night at this point in the message, I just took out my old screen here and we talked about uh, these areas. But um, this week, my dear friend, Dr. Larry Crabb, was in town uh, speaking at another engagement and we were together on Friday and I said to him, uh, he'd mentioned he's gonna be at church here at the nine o'clock service. And I said, ooh, would you be willing, unscripted, to come up on this stage here and, and just dialogue with me about what relational kindness looks like? And I didn't know if he'd say yes or not, because he can, he can be really strong-willed. And, and he looked at me and he said, I would love to do that. So why don't you guys welcome up my dear friend, Dr. Larry Crabb.
For those of you who don't know, Larry is a, uh, well, he's trained as a clinical psychologist. He uh, transitioned from being a psychologist to a spiritual director uh, about uh, 20 years ago and now says, just call me Larry. And uh, he's a dear friend. And so, Larry, I first want to say just thank you, thank you for being willing to do this. Even though I said no? <laughs> Even though you said no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, you and I have conversations like this a lot. And we sit around and talk about what sanctification and spirit-filled life and as they all interact relationally look like. And I thought it'd be fun to share a little bit of your thoughts with the folks here at Scottsdale Bible. This is unscripted, folks, just so you understand that. Yeah. Are you all waiting? <laughs> you know, when I think about um, what you're talking about, Jamie, kindness, I'm very struck with Romans 3.24, where he talks about undeserved kindness. Mm. And I rather think that anytime we exercise what you're talking about, relational kindness, we're entering a flesh-spirit struggle. Mm. Um, kindness is not so hard when you're expressing it to somebody that you find easy to express it to. But when something inside of you just is so aware of how they failed you, of how they are so undeserving of your kindness, and they really ought to be criticized, they ought to be judged, they ought to be reprimanded, they ought to be talked to in a negative way without any kind of love, that's when I think the, the real battle begins. Yeah. And, uh, one other thought that was occurring to me as I was sitting out there as you were opening up, um, I was thinking about Acts 20, 25, where Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders before he, um, before he was never going to see them again. And he spoke to them in some very powerful ways, obviously, but the last thing that he said, remember what it was? But from among you, savage wolves will arise? No. That wasn't the last thing. <laughs> <laughs> we should have scripted this. <laughs> the, the last thing that he said, and I didn't notice it until I looked it up, but the last thing that he said was, remember the words of Jesus Christ, yeah. which are not listed anywhere in the Gospels. I know what it is now. Ah, yeah. A little clue there. Better to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And the word blessed has the idea of it does something in the soul that's really good. It has the idea of happiness. And I, it, it occurred to me as I was pondering that, that, that when I express some form of relational kindness to the person I'd rather just walk away from or criticize or point out how they failed me, that something develops, something arises in my soul that can arise in no other way. And I would call it happiness. Um, think, think about that. Um, can I plug my next book? Sure. Okay. Got a book coming out in July. Um, and it's called A Different Kind of Happiness. And what, 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 I, what I think is, uh, as we talk about kindness, that all of us want to be happy. And, and happiness for most of us means being treated well or having things go well, or have the doctor tell you that the tumor is benign, or having the stock market go up, or having your spouse really be good to you, or having your kids turn out fantastically. Happiness comes from blessings. 
But then Jesus comes along, according to Paul, according to Paul in, uh, in, in Acts 20 and 25, then he said, before I leave you, Ephesian elders, you people who are responsible for the flock of God, the people of God, what I don't want you to forget, everything else I've said I hope you remember, but what I really don't want you to forget is that it's more blessed to give than to receive. You're going to experience a kind of joy, a kind of happiness that you're not going to get by people treating you well. Wow. By your moving towards somebody else in a certain way, you're going to find something arising in your soul that's going to be far more sustaining t during difficult times than the happiness you get from the blessings of life. So kindness is a rather important topic, it seems to me. But, but let's pause on that, because you're bringing up, I mean, I think everybody here can feel that battle, at least those who are followers of Christ, that in that moment when we are, are being tugged to be kind to somebody, and I love how you postured this, somebody who is not worthy of our kindness, yeah. and we all know what that means, and, and then you're suggesting based on Acts 20 that, 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 that it's more blessed to give than to receive, so there's a greater happiness mm -hmm. that comes. And my question to you is, some of us have tried that, and I, and I know what you're going to say is, but I want you to speak to this to them. Some of us have tried that, and the immediate gratification of that is nothing near like the opposite. In other words, it almost feels better to withhold kindness. We feel more justified. We feel more, quite frankly, better than to be kind. And we, then we look to God and say, well, I don't feel very happy for being kind right now. And we're almost tempted to say, I don't think what Larry and Jamie are saying works. How do, you, how do we respond to that? I have no idea. Great question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't think that the kind of happiness that I'm talking about is, is not felt the same way other kinds of happiness is fe are felt. Um, I think there's, there's just a realization of a sense of destiny. There's a realization that I'm living the way I was created and recreated to live. And there's a sense of wholeness that develops within me when I move in this direction. And I, I don't think that, that all, all that you and I are talking about right now is, is going to make much of a difference to anybody, including me, unless there's some recognition that the Jesus who the Bible reveals and who has met me in his kindness is somebody that I've discovered within myself an appetite, a desire that's, that really is stronger than any other desire in my soul, but I hardly ever access it, but it's there. There's a desire in the deepest part of my soul that more than anything else, the phrase that I like so much, you've already used this morning, that I want to put Jesus on display by the way I relate. And when I'm aware that that's a very deep longing in my soul, and it's actually a deeper longing in the regenerate soul, whether you're aware of it or not, yeah. it's a deeper longing in the regenerate soul that you want to put Jesus on display by the way you relate. That's a deeper longing than, when somebody to, than, than you want somebody to relate to you well. Yeah. And when you satisfy that longing, that desire, by putting Jesus on display, then there's some sense of wholeness that rises up. Now, is it going to be felt immediately? No. There are pleasures in sin for a season. There's no question about that. And I sometimes have a better time backing away from somebody and being a little critical. Um, I sometimes have a, just a deep sense of feeling justified. But folks, that, that, that's coming out of your flesh. Amen. That, that's, that, 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 that pleasure that is felt, the pleasures of sin, are, are, the, are the pleasures that, 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 are, that are coming out of uh, what, what, what J.I. Packer calls an anti-God virus within your soul, 
what Augustine called uh, uh, being curved in on yourself. It's all about me. And, and I'm, the, I'm entitled to being treated in a certain way. And when I live out of that sense of entitlement, it does bring a certain kind of pleasure that Satan is chuckling over. And until I understand that there's a deeper desire in my soul, and it's going to take some time, it seems to me, some real faith, and take some time to practice this. Is that a good word? I'm not sure. But it's going to take some time to develop the understanding that when I put Jesus on display, and here's a thought I want to say, that at least in my experience, I think you and I resonate on this to some degree, that um, I experience God's presence most deeply when I reveal his kindness most clearly. Yeah. And all of us want to experience the presence of God. We can experience it through music, as we did this morning. I was blown away by the Amazing Grace song. That was unbelievable. Um, I was feeling rather good things inside of me because of that. But I think there's a deeper way to feel good in the deepest part of your soul, and that's to put Jesus on display by the way you relate. And, and that, that's the thirst to live like that the thirst to know God, the thirst to reveal God, sustains you more deeply than the felt presence of God in most circumstances. I think that's the key. I think what these folks need to understand, because many of them are in that battle right now, is that sometimes there really will be a choice between the immediate gratification of feeling justified that will lead to long-term emptiness and enmity with yourself, with God, with everybody around you, versus that, and I don't know how to describe it, but that... You know, when, when, we, when we do what Jesus says, and that's that we lose ourselves for his sake, when we take up our cross and follow him, I mean, it doesn't lead to immediate gratification. That's probably one of the biggest takeaways that many of us need to take away right now, is that, you know, I, I can't promise you that you're going to feel amazing in that moment. You'll be doing the right thing. It's almost like eating vegetables. I don't know if that's a terrible analogy. <laughs> But I know I don't do that. <laughs> I was with Larry last night for dinner, and he ate Brussels sprouts. So I was teasing him. I don't know why. All godly people love Brussels sprouts, but he does not. And and so you know, it's like eating vegetables. You 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 do it because you know it's good for you. Because you know, in the long term, you might live a little bit longer. And though it might not bring the immediate gratification of a Snicker bar or something like that, you know that one is better than the other. And through the Spirit's power, one is going to lead to a different kind of happiness at the end of the road. And one is not. And at least for me, that's where the battle is at any given moment. Am I going to focus on me and want to feel justified and have that immediate, although terrible, gratification of feeling good in the moment? Or am I going to take the high road and truly love somebody in the name of Jesus even though it might cost me in the moment, knowing that somewhere down the road, and it might not even come to heaven, you've taught me that, it might not even come to heaven, but, 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 but there's weeping in the night and there's joy in the morning. You know, three, three, three words occurred to me as you're talking. One is the word cost. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that kindness is spirit-led, motivated, energized, unless there's a cost. I think that's huge. And now, what, what is the cost? Well, the cost is giving up what your flesh wants to do in the moment. Yeah. Because I would like to get even with somebody. Um, don't, don't raise your hand on this because all of you would, but just think about this. How many of you have felt betrayed by somebody in your life? Yeah, there's a hand up in the front and everybody else would put their hand up too. Um, I felt betrayed by, by three particular people in, in my life and it's been very, very difficult. Um, 
Can I share a weird story? Please. With these three people that I felt and others have shared the feeling of betrayal, but I'll speak about me. With these three folks that have, um, I, I believe, have, have betrayed me and, and caused me great pain, up until a particular moment, if you'd have asked me to talk about that, I would have said that, if you'd have said, are you angry? I, I would have said yes, but praise God, my anger is righteous. That's what I would have said. Um, until the Lord did something, I'm not much of a mystic, but I'm thinking as the older I get, the more I'm open to a little form of mysticism. As I was seething in what I was wrongly calling righteous anger toward these people, without an ounce of desire within my soul to show any one of these, these, any one of these three people a bit of kindness, I didn't want to do it, and I felt justified in not, in not wanting to do it. And I think the Lord, I don't think I know this, the Lord got hold of me one evening, and it was um, middle of the night, two in the morning, something, and um, I, I woke up from a sound sleep. That's a strange story, folks. True story. Some of my stories are true. This one is. <laughs> but I woke up from a sound sleep, and I was, was wide awake immediately, and I had just a picture in my mind. It felt like it was a big screen TV. Have you heard me tell the story before? Um, and the picture was a picture, I don't want to put it in great detail because it's too crude and gross. It was a picture of what I would call sheer evil. Just to put it very uh, broadly without any detail beyond this, what I saw in my mind's eye that felt as graphic as if it were a big screen TV, it was a picture of a, of a, of a, of a wicked witch of an old lady who was doing horrible things to an innocent little baby boy. And as I was looking at that, I felt like I was in the presence of evil. And I began to pray. I said, Lord, um, anything, plead the blood, cast out demons, do whatever you want, but I can't bear the sight of this feeling in the presence of such horrible evil. And this picture went on for, I don't know, eight, nine, ten minutes or something. And then, you know how when we say we heard the, the Lord speak? Well, I didn't hear him audibly, but I knew he was speaking to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you know that. And I heard the Lord speak, and it wasn't audibly like I can hear my own voice and I can hear Jamie's voice, but it was, it was even more, more real than what we hear audibly from each other. And, and the Lord said to me, Larry, your anger toward these three people is as attractive to me as what you're seeing in your vision. And at that moment, the picture disappeared from my mind, and I felt a freedom and something arose within me that wanted to show kindness to those three people. Hmm. And um, I actually, I'll just mention one real quickly. Um, what am I, which one am I gonna mention here? <laughs> um, but one of, the, one, one of the people, I called him up, a, a man who had betrayed me in my judgment, and I still believe he did. And I called him up and I said, I, I wanna get with you. And he knew that we were at outs with each other. And I said, can we meet in your home? And the reason I wanted to meet in his home was where it would be most difficult for me. Went to his home that afternoon when he agreed to let me come, and I asked him to forgive me. I said, I think that my attitude toward you has made your life difficult, and I don't want my life to make anybody else's life more difficult. I, I plead with you for forgiveness. And I think there was an extension of kindness to him that would have been incapable coming out of me 
without the Spirit of God doing what he did, which convinces me again of what you've emphasized so strongly, that this is not something you wake up and put on a checklist to do. This is something which the Spirit of God has to energize. And when it gets, this fellow had betrayed me, and I don't think I betrayed him. And I really thought he should be apologizing to me. What's going on here? This is not fair. I've been hurt, and it's been messing me up, and I've been in tears, and I'm angry, and, and this is not the way it's supposed to be. And, and because of that crazy early morning experience, something arose within my soul. And when I expressed to him the, the kindness or forgiveness, um, I, left that, I left that time feeling what I'm calling a different kind of happiness. Yeah. Um, it was good. You know, the original title of the book that's coming out this year, uh, you know, I, I, I love the original title when you sent me the manuscript. He originally called it a Battle for a Better Love. And, and I like that because it encompasses what you just talked about, and that's that none of this stuff comes easy. There's a battle involved. You know, many people, if they woke up at 2 a.m., would pop an Ambien and try to get back to bed. Uh, but, but you, and you and I have talked about this, you, 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 God wakes you up regularly, or your flesh wakes you up regularly. You, you have, I don't think you mind me sharing, you have, you have trouble at times getting a full night's sleep. And, and yet you see God in a lot of that. because spirit he, is anti-ambient, I'm convinced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not go down that road. But anyways, I, 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 I think what you have said to me is that God does that battle in you at times, not sitting in your office having a cup of coffee, though it comes there too. It comes when he wakes you up or when he sabotages you driving down the road or in a hotel room or something. And he says, Larry, are you ready to do battle? And it's out of that that it's a battle for a better life. Yeah. And that battle, it seems to me, is an exposure of our motivation. Yeah. Um, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the next verse is not your local psychologist. The next verse is, I, the Lord, I try the heart. I know what's going on in the soul. And only in, in interaction with the Spirit, in community with friends, and you and I have had some very important conversations that have blessed me all over the place. Um, but I, I really do think that, that what the Spirit wants us to see, what we don't see apart from his work, is that our motivation in many times offering what looks like kindness is ultimately self-serving. Yeah is ultimately I'm going to do this and now I deserve a response. And if I don't get it, I'm rather disappointed. What would it mean to express kindness with no thought of the response you would like from your expression of kindness? Oh, that's huge. I think that's a rather important motivational issue. The other uh, another thought occurs to me as I'm chattering away here, um, maybe it's the same thing as motivation. What, what, is, what is my intent when I express kindness to somebody? And it is my intent, if I'm, if I'm being governed by the Spirit of God, now this is going to be a little radical, but I think it's true. If my intent, if I'm governed by the Spirit of God when I'm expressing kindness to somebody, is of the Spirit of God, then it's going to be for that person's eternal well-being, not just for their momentarily feeling good. Yeah. I, th I thought the story was great this morning. The older woman sitting in first class and they were having a party up there. I think that's wonderful. And you... You very wisely said that's really, really good, but it's not the height. Mm -mm. It isn't the ultimate. You don't want to dismiss it in any way or demean it in the slightest. But there's something far greater. When I, can, I, can I look at you as an image bearer? I, th I, th I, think about, I think about Simon the Pharisee when he invited Jesus to dinner. And the, um, the woman who was apparently a prostitute came in to wash his feet and all of that. Simon saw her as a prostitute worthy of judgment. Jesus saw her as a woman in need of grace. Amen. 
And can I be looking at people who have offended me, people who I don't like particularly, as people who are not just awful who ought to shape up, but are they people who are desperately in need of grace? And can I express kindness with the idea that maybe the Spirit could take the divine life that's pouring out of my soul, my favorite verse in the Bible, at least for the moment, the Second Peter 1.4, we're participants, we're partakers of the divine nature. That means that the actual nature that energized Jesus in everything he did for 33 years in this life, that actual nature is now in me, and I can pour divine life out of me into somebody else's soul through the, through the, through the fruit of the Spirit, including kindness, as we're talking about now. And can I think in those lofty, elegant, highly spiritual categories? And that gets kind of exciting to think like that. Well, let's, you know, we got a few minutes left. Let's, and, and I want to you know, comment on this because I think that this would be a great way to help these people uh, put a little bit of a bow on this. Their take-home point today, is, you know, I mean, I'm a simpleton at the end of the day, is this, that if you have trouble with kindness, go to God. Mm -hmm. And the question becomes, then, what does going to God mean? We've talked a lot about that, uh, the wrestling match with God, battle for a better love, flesh versus spirit. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a battle we need to wrestle with. Their take-home verse is Galatians 2.20. And, and you know that verse. We're going to put it up here on the screen right now. And that is that I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Therefore, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And, and so I'd love you to comment on that. I mean, you, know, you and I have talked about Galatians 2.20. you got the whole exchange life movement and the Keswick movement and, and, and what they mean in that. But there, there's some richness in applying this kindness with the fact that you started going down that road that Christ lives in us yeah. and, and that there is a divine power, a dunamis, according to the Greek, that's in us. That, that I've said to these folks over the last few weeks, and I don't mean to sound like you know, a, uh, a name it, claim it, or a power positive thinking type preacher. But the fact is, is that we have a lot more capacity within us to be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, faithful, good, gentle, even with self-control than we ever give ourselves credit for. And it's not a self-help thing. It's a Jesus thing. Yeah. Maybe comment on that for us as we wrap this up. You know, the more I, I, I ponder verses like Galatians 2.20, and, and please don't hear this as any kind of false modesty because it's not false. Um, the more I realize I'm a third grader in this spiritual journey, you know? Got a long way to go. Um, and if I'm going to realize the way you just put it so well that there's a more capacity in me to express these several fruit of the Spirit that Galatians talks about, there's a divine capacity within me and if that's going to become more than head knowledge and more than a good verse to quote and more than something to think about, then my mind goes in two directions. One, it goes to Psalm 139 where, search me, O God, yeah. and see what's getting in the way of this. Um, I think I preached a sermon on that at your church back in Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah, you did. And I think one of the points that I made then is coming back to me now looking at you because you were sitting there was hoping that you would smile as I was preaching and you weren't. Um, <laughs> I smile more here, so that's good, yeah. Scottsdale's an easier place to smile. It is, yeah. Yeah. Um, But one of the points that I made was when we ask God to search us, sometimes the searching is not just me and the Lord, but it's me within Christian community. And let me tell you what I mean by that. I think it's a very important point that I think if we're going to realize, 
realize the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory, and that we are really are crucified with Christ, nevertheless he lives within me, if that's going to become more than a wonderful Bible verse, then one element that I think is essential, and we talked about this last night at dinner, is when I'm interacting with you, with my wife, with my sons, daughters-in-law, grandchildren, friends, whoever, am I, am I willing to, even when I think I'm acting really well, even when I think I'm being really nice to be with and I'm a fun guy, you know, and having a good time, social time, and maybe I'm encouraging them and saying nice things and, and I'm just being a wonderful Christian man, would it be wise for me to say, not to everybody all the time, but to a couple people some of the time, how do you experience me? How am I impacting you? What am I like to live with? Discovering our impact is a good way to discover whether our expressions of the fruit of the Spirit are really fleshly or spiritual. And to get the kind of feedback that I'm talking about is a rather scary thing. Um, and I, I think I would, I would encourage, encourage you all with, to, to ask your wife, to ask your husband, what, what's it like to have me for a husband? How do you experience? I would suggest you allow a minute and a half and then leave the room. Um, <laughs> um, but that's an important thing to do. I tell you why that's so powerful, Larry. I'm going to let you finish off here a sec. But, you know, I wrote down in my notes, they didn't hear this because we're doing this discussion. I wrote down one of the most gutsy questions you can ask your spouse is, do you feel loved by me? I asked that came back in the 90s and what have you, and that led to do a whole <laughs> years of discussion. What you're suggesting is even a more gutsy question is to say, do you experience Christ in me? Yes. I mean, that, That's whoa. Right. I mean, because, you know, somebody can feel right. love from you, but do they experience Jesus in you? That's the fruit of the Spirit. And when you ask that gutsy question and get a response that is not terribly encouraging, <laughs> then rather than just feeling shame and defeat, understand the power of the, the power of brokenness. Mm. A broken and a contrite heart he will not despise. And I don't believe that the fruit of the Spirit is going to be meaningfully revealed in us growingly unless there's a profound brokenness over our failure to express the fruit of the Spirit and we're not going to understand that we are failing to express, express the fruit of the Spirit because we're also naturally self-righteous. And I feel like I'm doing a darn good job most of the time. And yeah. most of the time, I'm not doing that good of a job because I'm kind of sold on myself and how well I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a psychologist. I used to charge money for conversations. Can you believe that? Um, and I just thought, man, I'm so insightful. You just, you know, this is worth more than you're paying me right now, you know? Um, and that's just a bunch of nonsense. And, and if I can understand where I'm failing somebody, that's an incredible opportunity to get on the narrow road that leads to the life of, be, of putting Christ on display by expressing the fruit of the Spirit. That's really important to think about. Brokenness, repentance, as an opportunity for the fruit of the Spirit to come alive in our souls and the way we relate to each other. This relational thing is so important. Last thing I'm gonna say, I know where time has gone here. This, um, um, you know, I, I don't think we're, we're going to get a feel for what relational kindness, relational love, 
Even relational peace, relational joy. Put the word relational in front of all of them. Maybe that's a possibility. I'm not sure. But when you put, get the word relational there, then I don't think we're going to get that word as full as it's intended to be until we understand that the ultimate relationality in all the universe is the relationships within the Trinity. The Father and the Son love each other so profoundly that the love that exists between the Father and the Son is the person of the eternal spirit, and the eternal spirit is the spirit that is now alive in my soul at the core of my being, and when I even ponder that and start thinking about that, then it gives me the hope to believe that maybe through brokenness, through repentance, through getting feedback from people that I'm not really moving toward them as wonderfully as I thought I was, and then getting on my knees and saying, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and then being able to realize that without the power of the Spirit, I am not gonna produce anything of spiritual fruit, but I long when I'm thirsty to produce spiritual fruit and dependent on God to produce spiritual fruit, that I believe there develops slow transformation in my soul and I become just a little more Christ-like. Amen. Amen. You can clap at that. that, that that's Scottsdale Bible speak for amen. <laughs> you know, um, you guys can see, I, I said to a friend of mine recently when I came back from spending a a, a day with Larry, I came back and I, I had to get up and preach in front of you guys. There's that joy sermon that he's promised to listen to. And I, I was just exhausted when I came back, but in a good way, because there's a richness in the way that you see the Lord and life and, and, and work with all of us who are a mess that has speak, spoken to my soul. And I count you a dear friend, and it's been great to share it with these guys. So why don't you guys thank Larry for being with us here today. I know Jamie lives very transparently in front of you, and he's very authentic with me as well. And he talks about the fact that he's a long way to go on these fruit of the Spirit. But let me tell you, um, I've felt spiritual fruit from Jamie's soul coming into mine in so many ways. One quick example was some years ago when I was having major surgery for cancer. Um, some guy walked into my room and said, Hi, I wanted to be with you in your illness. And it was Jamie. flew all the way to, to spend some time with me. Now, that was a physical act of kindness in terms of he just kind of came in and gave me his presence. But then we chatted, we, we related together, and um, that was one of the most encouraging moments I've had from this guy that you're blessed to have as a pastor. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Thanks, Larry. Here's your Bible. So, uh, again, totally unscripted. I think that that was worth doing. I thank you guys for just uh, allowing us to bring you into this conversation here. Uh, we have our, our elder fund offering that uh, we take up every month. For those of you who are visiting, we have to explain to you that this is not a double dip. Uh, it wasn't that the first offering wasn't enough. Uh, what it is, is is that we once a month, our tradition is to take up a, a second offering that goes directly to those in need in our community and in our uh, church. And, you know, we give away hundreds of thousands of dollars in this way and in other ways. So we always count on your generosity for that. So I'm going to pray for that right now. And then the, uh, the campuses and venues will do the same uh, with that. And then we'll sing one song, and, and then Troy will dismiss us. And same with the venues and campuses. So why don't you bow with me? Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, this rich time together that we call worship 
because you called us together to be the church, the gathering of your people, and to sing to you, to be with each other, to focus our sights upon you, the triune God, and then, Lord, to open up your book and to talk meaningfully about what you have revealed to us, your perfect, perfect will. So, God, as we've just uh, dipped our toe into this idea of relational kindness, one of the fruits of your spirit, I pray, God, that each one of us would leave here in a few minutes, at the very least pondering something meaningful and from you about our lives. At the very most, God, would you transform us a little bit as Larry talked about, more into the image of Christ and the way we relate to those around us. And we'll deflect all praise and glory to you. Use this offering for your purposes to be a cup of cold water in the name of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.